millennial women right now are having kind of a moment in entrepreneurship. Yes, you know, are. <laughs> there's a lot of interest in having VC funds go in that direction because it's just been a group that hasn't been able to pull in funds in the same rates. And so anytime there's a group of individuals that have been overlooked, there's a lot of untapped potential in it. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. I am here today with Diane Abrazzini. She is the marketing director of Venture uh, Co., which I'll let her tell you a little bit about that company. But uh, Diane and I met at a women's investing event here in the lovely state of Vermont. And she said something during uh, during one of the panel conversations that really got me, and I wanted her to come in and talk a little bit more about it. So, Diane, welcome to Breaking Money Silence. Thank you so much for having me. Let me just give the context. So the context is I was sitting there and we were talking about women and women in power, and you are part of the Women, Money, and Power series that we're doing here. And you said a really interesting thing, that I was raised to believe I could do anything that I want. But then I go out into the world, you happen to work at a financial company, and I realize that maybe that isn't exactly true. Maybe there is gender bias out there. And so it was really interesting um, to me, you as a millennial, these thoughts about millennials being entitled and the fact that you were entitled to kind of taking your place and then got into the system that we have and found "Mm, maybe what I was told isn't exactly true. Sure. So like you said, I grew up being told that I could do anything I wanted to do. I spent quite a few years running businesses in a pretty abstract and alternative industry. So when I entered the financial services industry, I found myself in a fairly, some might say, archaic system in terms of implicit bias. It's hard not to notice that women are often pigeonholed in certain types of roles, or it's difficult for women or people of color to advance. And so really exploring how to tease that out became super interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And when I was in graduate school for my business degree, I got to do a lot of research into millennials, especially their relationship to financial institutions. So that really colored the lens that I approached my entry into financial services. So I went into it kind of looking to see how that played out. Whereas if I had come up in that industry and had not done that research, it might just have been a normalized thing that I'd never notice. Oh, interesting. So it raised that awareness. Now, just because the audience can't see you, you're a millennial, correct? I am what's called an older millennial. So <laughs> An older millennial. I'm 33 years old. And what people typically call a millennial is someone born between 1980 and 2000, even though those dates will shift depending on who is speaking about it. Often we hear that millennials are entitled 
and I know that's not necessarily gender specific, but say a little bit more as to what your view is on entitlement, because I find that fascinating. That's a great question. So I think it's a funny thing to call anyone entitled because there's more to that sentence, right? You're entitled to something. So when I look at financial services, especially advisors, how they're really thinking about how to reach out to the next generation, I see them talking about the great wealth transfer or how are you going to keep your client's children when they pass away? So they're already going at it with the lens of millennials are entitled to money that they didn't earn. And that's what a lot of the context is for these tips and tidbits of how to attract them. But that's very much not engaging with who millennials are. And what I would say might be a truer statement is that millennials are entitled, but they're entitled to different things. They're entitled to that ethos that we were raised with, overarching, of transparency, of equity, of equal access to resources, no matter what the background or circumstances. And I think that entitlement is a good thing. It's making big changes in the business world. And if you want to be able to connect with millennials, you're going to have to be able to reach them in helping them create the world that they want to live in. I think that's great that entitled to something and it's okay to be entitled to something. And, you know, I think about, you know, I certainly work in the financial services industry. I also work in the business industry. And a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are women entrepreneurs, women business owners, some millennials. And I have heard that over and over and over again, that we we pigeonhole. And part of what I don't want to do is pigeonhole any group of people into just one catch-all phrase. And I imagine being a millennial, it's kind of an offensive thing to say that you're entitled. So what should we be doing differently when we think about millennials as a group? Great question. And part of that is, how do you talk about a group without creating overarching personas to them? Because you can't. But I think what's important is that we look in two directions. One, we look into actual people's personal experiences. And two, we look at actual statistical data. So one huge myth that I'm constantly hearing is that millennials are job hoppers. But when the data is actually broken into, millennials don't change jobs any more often than baby boomers or Gen Xers if you look at them in the same age range. So we can say overarching statements about a population as long as we know we're talking about a population and not every individual, but we have to make sure that that's backed up by the data. Well, it's interesting because I, I have a friend who specializes in, you know, just like you said, attracting millennials, working with millennials, whether it's healthcare or finance or other business organizations. And, and her big gist of her talk is basically that millennials, instead of thinking about it as millennials, think about it as a stage of life. Like, what were you doing in your 20s? You know, and it's different than what you're going to do in your 40s, 50s and 60s. And so is that part of your point? Absolutely. And in some cases, it goes beyond that, because in many cases, it is a stage of life, which is the job hopper example. But in other cases, there are circumstances that are different for us than were different for other generations. I came of age, I graduated from college in 2008. So entering the job market at that time was very different than someone entering in, entering it in previous decades. And 
it also was slower to rebound for millennials. So even as the economy started picking up and in the mid 2010s, like 2014 to 2016, there are millions of jobs being added each month. It was still a net loss for people in my age range. So in some cases, it is what part of life are you in? And in some cases, it's what are the circumstances that are completely different for this generation that you'll need to understand in order to work with them. Right, right. No, that makes sense to me. And so I hadn't thought about this before, but, do you know, often we hear, and once again, a generalization that millennials are very entrepreneurial. Do you think part of that is because the job market was really rough and so you had to go do something to make some money? Absolutely. If we look at history, who becomes entrepreneurs, it's people who are usually boxed out of traditional, well-paying, sustaining jobs. It's immigrants and it's people who aren't able to find products offered to them that they need because they're not in the most traditional mainstream demographic. And so the same for millennials. If they can't find jobs that will sustain them, then they're going to do it themselves. And because we're the first digital natives, we're the first people to grow up communicating digitally, we feel that technology not only connects us, but an ease of use that creates a different kind of margin. So if we're able to use technology to create something that distributes a product for a much cheaper rate than a traditional 20th century business, then we're going to do it and we're going to outcompete those businesses that can't pivot and innovate with that same level of technology. And so is let's talk about the gender component a bit. So there's, you know, we can talk about generations, but then there's also millennial women. And so often I am actually hired or consulted with about how do you attract millennial women? Women, women They're so important. And that's a very big group. Um, so let's break it down to entrepreneurship. You know, it sounds like you have an entrepreneurial spirit. And, you know, what do you think are the differences or the things we need to be paying attention to when we're thinking about millennial women and how maybe they're viewing their financial power or their business abilities? Millennial women right now are having kind of a moment in entrepreneurship. Yes, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of interest in having VC funds go in that direction because it's just been a group that hasn't been able to pull in funds in the same rates. And so anytime there's a group of individuals that have been overlooked, there's a lot of untapped potential in it. So now that people are putting more eyes on that group, all of these businesses are getting teased out that are typically offering products that a group of men would not be able to conceive of. And because women are half of the population, it's resonating really well. I think that, I mean, not to plug a business, Go but for it. Mama Va <laughs> in Burlington oh, yeah. is such a perfect example So of tell that. the listeners, because I know what that is, but of they course. won't notice. So Mama Va creates lactation sweets. And just so you know, I have no relationship with this company other than just being such a fan. They create lactation suites in public facilities like airports or stadiums so that women who are nursing have a private and comfortable place that they can go. Now, this might sound like a simple idea, but it's never been done before because no one's taken that design perspective for the young mother consumer. And so those are the kinds of business ideas that are so exciting to see because they're so obvious. They're gaining a ton of traction really quickly because people just weren't paying attention. 
Yeah, they're very innovative. You know, there's there's something else in, in addition to um, a lot of millennials and, and certainly women being innovative and entrepreneurial. There's also a different way in which uh, many of them want to invest and spend their money. Um, and I know you work a little bit uh, with that at your firm. So tell me a little bit about um, what your thoughts are about how millennials might view money and want to invest. One of the things that I really was blown away with in the research I did in graduate school was thinking about millennials and their access to financial education, information, and advice. And something like 71% of millennials, I think this was a survey done in a disruption index in like 2017-ish, 71% would rather go to the dentist than talk to Mm, a banker. I've seen that stat, yes. And all of the language in traditional financial services is super male. I mean, alpha is just a great common (laughs) example, right? It's very competitive. It's one winner, bunch of losers. It's outperform. It's very individualistic. And for women and millennials, we as a group, again, not every single person, we tend to look towards our own goals. We don't have a goal of getting a 9% return in the stock market this year over an 8%. But we have a goal of paying off our student loans in a certain amount of time or saving up for a home. And so if we can't connect to the advice that's being given to us because they're just two totally different conversations, even though there might be some middle ground where they can come together, then they're not going to seek that out. They're not going to enjoy the experience and they're not going to show commitment and loyalty to that institution. And how about in terms of um, the types of investments millennials like to make? So other people, also women, I think, based on what I know you're going to (laughs) say. So what's really interesting about me is that my background is in sustainable agriculture. I never saw myself working in financial services. But the reason that I merged into it is this growing trend in financial services towards impact investments. So these are investments that have an environmental or a social mission. Usually they have a tinge of what is the governance of that business and how does that support a robust economy or diversity in ideas and thought. And the reason that I think that that's so important is that, as you know, capital and money is power. And the more we can divert capital and money into the future that we want to believe in, then the more emphasis and the more strength is going to be behind that movement. So just like me, a former farmer and small business owner, now sees my role in impact investing and finance, so do a lot of my peers. Where they might not have their careers be in finance, this is the direction that they're going to want to put their money towards. And this is what's going to attract them and make them a really loyal and valuable client. So really being able to use your money and your power to invest in what's important to you or to fund what's important to you. And, and so the connection between what your personal goals are and what you're doing with your money, I think it's that's really powerful. And I think if more women, and it doesn't matter if they're millennial or of other generations, I think if more women understood that you can invest according to your goals, there might be a little bit more excitement around uh, investing and around using uh, financial power. Now, that's my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are. I sure hope that that's the case. You know, that's what we're kind of banking on. And the fact is, if we think about the future that we want to live, 
we're not only betting on that, we're also making it happen. And that's where I think private capital becomes a really interesting space over the public markets just in this case. Because when you place a private investment, you're making a direct impact in whether that company gets funded or not. And so the companies that get funded, I hope, are the companies that are going to create the economy and the products and services that will help us thrive in the coming decades. We've covered a lot of topics in a very short period of time. I want to circle back to your myth. So if we were to reframe your myth from millennials are entitled, because it truly is a myth, what would the fact be? How would you restate it? Uh, that's a great question. I would say millennials are millennials have different circumstances and different goals than previous generations. And they feel entitled to the level of ethos of transparency and equity that they grew up with. Diane, I think that's a wonderful reframe. And I know that there's so much more we could be talking about. So I want to make sure that people know where they can reach you and uh, know a little bit more about the work that you're currently doing. So can you tell them? So I work for Ventrico. We are kind of two companies wrapped in one. First, we're a private capital investment bank. We help companies, energy projects, real estate projects raise private capital. And also, we're a fintech company. So we have a software that we license for other broker dealers and investment advisors. You can find us at venture.co, so www.venture.co. And you can find us on LinkedIn forward slash VentureCo. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I encourage people to check that company out. And um, something tells me that uh, you are the marketing director today, but there's going to be big things in your future for tomorrow. Um, anybody who has participated in this Women, Money, and Power series, I've asked them uh, one final question. So I'm going to do the same for you. What is one tip you would like to leave our audience members with around how to embrace your financial power? I think that the best thing that we can do is really understand the full picture of our investments. So if you're investing in the stock market or you just have a 401k that's in mutual funds, ask your financial advisor, what's in those funds? Which companies have I invested in the stock market? And if you really wanted to dig deeper, figure out what are those companies doing for the general economy and the environment? Because the fact is that we have to put our money where our mouth is. And the first step is just getting a handle on where our money is right now. I love that tip. That's awesome. I'm so glad I got to meet you at some of these meetings and we um, got to have the exchange personally. And then you came in for the podcast. I've really enjoyed breaking money silence with you, Diane. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So if you've enjoyed this conversation and the series on Women, Money, and Power, if you have a question or a comment, feel free to email me at kbk at breakingmoneysilence.com, or you can tag me on Twitter at kbkspeaks. Also, feel free to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite podcast app or going to my website at breakingmoneysilence.com. And remember, together we can break money silence for good. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app 
and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.